This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? What do you mean? Did Caesar live here? Um, no. I don't think so. I went to Vegas last weekend. Pretty crazy. Vegas, baby! Vegas! Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. Why don't you give me half the money you were gonna bet? Then we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day! Some guys just can't handle Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 20 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. My guest for this episode of the show is Lisa Marie Smith. Lisa is a Las Vegas-based performer. She's a singer, a dancer, a model. She's headlined on the Las Vegas Strip, having appeared in shows at the Stratosphere and the Palazzo. Just last year, she signed her first record deal with Fervor Records. Last November, she released her first ever EP, and she's currently in the process of getting her new band project, LMS, up and running. Lisa is also one of my closest friends. In the time that we've known each other, she's become like a sister to me. And no trip to Vegas is complete without a chance to hang out, whether it's lunch, dinner, or a quick coffee or drink. I've introduced Lisa to Canadian delicacies like all-dressed chips, butter tarts, and Nanaimo bars, and she's taken me to some very cool Vegas restaurants, bars, and shows. And even though we're 1,200 miles apart, we both know that at any time, day or night, we can text or message each other about anything and everything. Lisa's been there to get me through some really tough times, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to do the same for her. In our chat for the podcast, we talked about what it was like for her growing up in Las Vegas, going away to college, touring around the world, performing on cruise ships, and being the youngest ever female singing headliner on the Las Vegas Strip. We talked about her charity work and the great job she does teaching young singers, and we also talked about some of her recent personal physical struggles. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lisa Marie Smith. I want to start, I want to learn all about you. I mean, I know all about you, but doing this podcast now, it's giving me an opportunity to really share, you know, my my Vegas family and my Vegas life with the people that, that listen to the podcast. So I, I, I want to share your background with them. So you are a born and raised Las Vegan, one of the, the few, correct? So I'm actually not born, but I am raised. I, I moved here when I was eight, I believe give or take by a year. And uh, I was born in Southern California, but my family moved here when I was really young because my dad's a real estate attorney. And that was when Vegas was booming. Right. So we moved here and I've never left. (laughs) And now this is always one of the fascinating things that I like to talk to people who are from Vegas about. What was it like growing up in a city like Las Vegas. I mean, for me as a tourist, you know, uh, it it's still now with all the time that I've been spending there, I'm finally able to wrap my head around the fact that people actually live in Las Vegas. <laughs> but growing up in Las Vegas, what was that like? So there's there are two opinions about growing up in Las Vegas. There are a bunch of my friends that, you know, honestly hated it. And uh, <clears throat> there's nothing to do and this and that, which I find hilarious. I actually think that that's saying there's nothing to do in like one of the most entertaining cities in the world is is crazy. There's so much to do. Um, I loved growing up here. I actually have um, had a really normal childhood. Uh, we lived in the suburbs. I, I grew up in Summerlin. We were in one of Summerlin's first communities. And... I actually, my new house is about a five minute drive from my first house in Vegas. And, uh, so the target that I used to go to as a kid, I still go to now. And I have like that small town feel in Vegas, which is, I think really charming. Um, and my favorite thing about growing up here was that there was always something to do, which I find hilarious that other people disagree with that. But you know, I, there were always pools to go to in the summertime and wet and wild back in the day when, um, when it was on the strip and, uh, red rock and going on hikes. And I was a very active kid. Um, I was always like, I was a big tomboy and, um, Vegas wasn't super big. So I was able to, you know, skateboard on the street and 
you know, play on the street with my neighborhood kids. And I had like a normal kid childhood, which is awesome. And then in terms of the strip, we very rarely went down there. We would go every so often, you know, to see the show at Excalibur or if there was a concert. I remember when Backstreet Boys came into town when I was younger and we went to MGM and saw them there. And so we went down to the strip for special occasions. But for the most part, I was just raised in a normal suburban city. That always seems to be a common thread with everybody that I talk to now. And, and I mean, going there and visiting with, with you guys and, and with all of my friends there. Everybody always says, if I didn't have to go to the strip, I wouldn't. Yeah. Now I don't feel that way. Now I, um, you know, on date nights and stuff, I actually genuinely love going down to the strip because when I work down there, I see a different side. Um, and then going down and actually experiencing it as opposed to working it is cool for me. Um, but as a kid, yeah, no, my parents, and I, my parents to this day don't like to go down to the strip unless they kind of have to. Um, but I'm a little different. I genuinely like it. When did you start acting, performing, singing? When, when was that kind of when you realized, Hey, this is what I really want to do. So I, like I said, I was a super active kid and I was a huge tomboy and I was really into sports. So I was a basketball player. And, uh, and my brothers were baseball and I grew up playing and right before high school. So I was, I was performing. I learned how to read by learning the lines of shows that I was in legit. That's how I learned how to read. So I, yeah, I've been performing since I was four or five and, um, and I've always done it. So like when basketball season was in, I would do, you know, that, and then the second season was over, I would go and do plays and musicals. So I was always doing either art or sports. And I juggled them pretty well up until right before high school. And it was eighth grade and I was on the basketball team, but still doing like the musicals and stuff. And my parents sat me down and they said, okay, you know, you can either go to Las Vegas Academy, you can audition. And if you get in, there's no sports there. So you kind of have to choose. Do you want to go to Palo Verde High School, which was at a great sports program, or LVA, which had none, but was the best art school at the time, you know, kind of on the West Coast. And I really thought about it for a minute and said, let's let's do LVA. And I auditioned for LVA and got in. And after that, there was no going back. From ninth grade on, I knew that I wanted to do it professionally um, I didn't think about anything else. And that's a, I mean, realistically, that's a tough decision to make as, as a, as an eighth, eighth grader, grade. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had like kind of, I mean, obviously I could have changed my mind eventually, but that's just not the kind of person I am. I'm very much, when I have my heart set on something, I do it. And, uh, I just, I knew that that's what I wanted. It was kind of as simple as that. And I knew that I was given a, you know, a God-given gift and I wanted to get better at it. And uh, yeah, I was an okay basketball player. I'm, I wasn't the best. So I was like, okay, well, I'm really good at this one thing and kind of good at this other thing. So you feel, you feel you made the right decision then is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd be in the WNBA. <laughs> So from, from high school, you, for college, you, the big American thing, and I know this from all my American friends is to go away to college. Nobody ever seems to go to college or university in their own backyard. That is true. Which is exactly what you did. You went to Boston. Yeah. I went to Boston Conservatory of Music, which is now called the Boston Conservatory of Music at Berkeley. And it's kind of a cool story. I think I can't say this like for certainty, but I know that I am one of the first, if not the first student at Boston Conservatory to take certificate classes at Berkeley. So BOCO offered this program right when um, I started going there. I think they started it my junior year. And that's when I had enough um, free classes, if you will, to be able to take advantage of it. They said, if you want to take class at Berkeley, you can for free. And I was like, are you kidding me? Of course I'm going to do that. Cause it was our sister school, so to speak, right across the street. And so I was taking musical theater classes at BOCO. And then I would go across the street to Berkeley and take, you know, 
law aspects of the music industry or songwriting or things that I couldn't take at BOCO, I would take at Berkeley. And now they are a joined school. And so what was the process to get into into this college and into this conservatory? I'm assuming there was like, these aren't the kinds of things that you just, hey, I'm going to write a letter and apply for. You're, it's, a, right. it's a lot involved, right? So it's actually shocking how involved it is. It's similar to trying to go to an Ivy League school, but for art. Um, there is an entire audition process. And LVA, my high school, has this thing called Unifieds that were really popular. I think they're still pretty popular, but um, all of the colleges would come to LVA. So I would have huge, huge universities and colleges come to LVA and we had one massive audition. So I had a minute to prove to, I don't know, 60 something schools that I was good enough for their program. And if they liked me, they would quote unquote, call me back. And then I would have an interview and maybe another, you know, audition or whatever. And after that unified process, I got accepted into like 37, 38 schools, just under 40 schools. And of course, I'm the kind of person that was like, that's not enough. And (laughs) Boston Conservatory wasn't there. And that was one of my top five schools I wanted to go to. And I got accepted into four out of the five. And um, Boston was the only one that I hadn't got accepted to. And it wasn't, they weren't there. So I was like, okay, well, where does Boston Conservatory have their auditions? And they had the same thing that Unifieds are in Vegas they have them in LA, but Boco only went to LA and New York. So I had my mom drive me to LA after getting accepted into just shy of 40 schools and went to my Boston audition and got in. And uh, (laughs) looking back on it, I was very stubborn because I got, you know, great feedback from all these colleges and scholarship opportunity. And a couple of the schools were giving me free rides and great schools, really good schools. And I said, nope, I want to go to the school that gives me $0 and is the most expensive. (laughs) (laughs) So there I went to a school that put me $200,000 in student loan debt. And I don't think I regret it. You know, what's funny is, is knowing you the way I've gotten to know you, none of that surprises me. <laughs> no. Why make my life any more easy than, than I need it to? Listen, I know I've been accepted to 37 different universities, but damn it, I want to go to the one that wasn't there and hasn't accepted yep. me yet. I want yep. to do that. None of that surprises me. <laughs> That's the truth. That's honestly what happened. So how, how how long were you in school? Four years. I did the full four-year program and I got my BFA. And uh, I didn't get cast. It was, uh, those four years were extraordinarily challenging. Um, I didn't get uh, a whole lot of friends. I have, you know, I had friends, I guess, but I was very, um, I wasn't sure of myself and I was shy and uh surprisingly and um kind of dark i had a bit of a like an emo thing going on and um especially knowing me now that's just like kind of hard to imagine because i'm like i you know sneeze glitter but <laughs> but uh yeah i was shy and i didn't do very well and i didn't get cast i learned a lot i was very studious and i would, you know, do all of my homework and I got okay grades, not great. Um, at LVA, LVA, I was like a straight A student. And then at BOCO, I think I graduated with like a 3.5 or 3.7, which for me was really low. Um, but I remember one of my professors said, if you were going to get an A in acting, you wouldn't be here. Which I thought was actually really profound because he was like, why would you get an A at something that, you know, you're learning how to do? Mm -hmm. If you were a good actor and I gave you an A, why are you in acting school? (laughs) I was like, oh, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, So all my teachers were really extremely challenging. Um, Classes were hard. I was in school every day from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then would go and do homework. Uh, so I didn't have a life. I didn't have a normal college partying life. I barely drank alcohol. 
all I focused on was trying to get better at my craft and I wasn't good at it and I wouldn't get cast. And, um, and then all of a sudden something shifted senior year and I had, you know, not been cast, not been cast, not been cast. Um, actually side note, one of my professors, I'll never forget it. She said to me, you, she was, she didn't like me. And, um, she said, you hide behind your hair. You don't have very feminine features. You know, you look very masculine. You aren't going to be cast in feminine roles. You need to focus on your type. And she said it in a way that was just pretty crappy, honestly. And uh, I was like, God, and that one really got to me. So that, that kind of knocked me down. That was the beginning of my senior year. And then at the end of my senior year, we had this huge thing, kind of like what I was explaining with Unifieds with uh, college acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's for agency acceptance in New York City. So we had this big, basically senior showcase and all the biggest agents in New York, um, you know, came and we had our showcase at the Alvin Ailey performance, you know, stage. And uh, I got accepted into the most agencies out of anyone in my graduating class. And, but I had never been cast in my college. And I found that to be very interesting. Like, okay, just because I didn't do well in college doesn't mean I'm not going to do well in the real world. I think I'm figuring this out. And sure enough, just like in perfect Lisa form, I accepted none of them and I moved back to Las Vegas. I was, you know, in my head, as you're telling this story, I'm thinking, I already know where this is going. Yep. <laughs> I won't lie. I tried. Um, there was an amazing agency, one of the ones that I had in the forefront of my mind that accepted me. And uh, I I went and signed with them um, and never went on an audition. I, I went and said, yes, let's do this and thought I was going to do the whole New York thing. And in my heart, um, I just and this is kind of to come full circle. I knew I wanted to be back in Vegas. And they obviously can't do anything for me in Vegas because they're a New York agency. So, uh, you know, I finally, after being with them for almost a year, but never going on an audition, I, you know, sent them a message and said, obviously, I'm sure you know this is coming. My heart isn't in New York City. Um, my heart is in my, my city back home and I'm, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to work here. So did you start working right away in Vegas or did you go away? Did you tour? Did you do the touring shows? All that kind I of did. stuff? Yeah. So I actually was a stereotypical Vegas cocktail server for a hot second after I graduated college because I needed to make money. And um, so I did that. But the interesting thing was, is I was a singing cocktail server. <laughs> okay. So I would serve drinks and then stand up on slot machines and do a song. No joke. Wow. Yep. And I did that for a year. It was called Bevertaining. And I made more money doing that than I have made as a headliner. <laughs> so find that ironic. Um, it was a great way for me to, you know, buy my first car, buy my first apartment, blah, 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 blah. After that, yes, I did a touring stint of an ABBA show. Uh, love me some ABBA. Mm -hmm. And then I did cruise ships, which a lot of the Vegas performers wind up doing. Um, I was a production singer for Holland America. And it was like a multi-million dollar, um, huge multi-production show that they were putting up on the Nordam and I traveled all throughout Europe and Africa and did that kind of right after the ABBA thing. Mm -hmm. And then the coolest way that all of this comes full circle for me is I was in Europe doing this tour and I really didn't want to leave, but it was a great opportunity for me to explore the world for, for free, get paid and get to go into the pyramids in Egypt and meet the Pope. I got to literally meet the Pope, wow. which was bizarre. Um, just random stuff that I got to do. And, uh, I finished my contract early and just, I, I didn't want to do it anymore and was on a layover in Rome. And I got a voicemail from a former teacher of mine from LVA and who's still a close friend of mine, Jerry Bourne. And he said, Hey, my buddy is the director of this show called pinup. 
that has just started while you've been away. And the singer is leaving whom I was a friend of mine and Martinez is a personal friend. And uh, he's like, you know, singers leaving. And I think you'd be really good for this. The auditions are tomorrow. I don't know if you're in town yet, but you should go. I get this on a layover in Rome and I fly home. What is nine hours sleep for six hours and go to the audition the next day. Don't have a headshot. Don't have a resume. Didn't know anything about the show. Didn't have a song prepared. I just got there and said, I just got back from seven months in Europe and I got recommended to be here. And here I am. What do you want me to sing? (laughs) (laughs) Which is just so not the normal way. Right. right? Especially after going to college and knowing this professionalism that is needed for auditions and looking a certain way and being prepared and having 12 different songs to pull out of my hat. And I just kind of showed up and pulled out a song on my phone and did a karaoke track to, I think I did Katy Perry Mm -hmm. and, uh, and got the job. So that was how I landed a headlining position in Las Vegas was by sheer accident. And that was your first, obviously that was your first big Las Vegas gig. It was huge. Yeah. It was really big. Uh, I got to, be kind of um I didn't realize it at the time but I was the youngest female singer working in Vegas as a headliner as a professional let alone a headliner so um that kind of got me a little bit of notoriety which was cool and um I was able to have a platform and I I tried to do my best in the in the show and uh, got to meet a lot of people and started getting noticed at things like dog parks, which was weird. <laughs> and how, how old were you at that time? So I got the job when I was 23 and, uh, I left when I was 27. So you're 23 years old. Your face is on billboards and marquees and signs and, it, you know, magazines and posters and all that kind of stuff. How weird was that? the first time you were driving somewhere and like, oh, look, there I am up on a billboard. It wasn't. And I know that sounds so weird, but it was like, yes. <laughs> I didn't have any sort of like, oh, that's kind of bizarre. I have that feeling now, now that I'm older. But when I was so young and I was so hungry, I was like, yes, that is my face up there. And I worked so hard and Screw all the people that told me I wasn't feminine in school and here I am in a super sexy show and sitting in lingerie and it was just like it was just the biggest like triumphant moment for me. And I hate to say it that way because it doesn't seem like I'm grateful, even though I'm crazy grateful. But it was just like, yes. Like that's that's kind of how I felt. It was a huge like kind of stick it to the man that has always told me I wasn't good enough moment. And you went from pinup straight to Baz? Yep. So uh, I did pinup for just shy of the entire run. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Four and a half years ish. And um, I had to sing 13 songs entirely on my own every night started as 12 and then went to 13. And that really took a toll on my voice. And I wish I would have had the um, maturity at that time to really sit them down and say, Hey, look, this isn't going to happen. Um, we need to change some things. If you guys want me here long-term, the opportunity was sensational. I will never regret it. Best thing I've ever done, even to this day. Um, but it really took a toll on my voice, but yet again, I don't sit still and I don't accept, you know, things that I, if, if I want something, I'm going to go and get it. And I saw Baz and, I was still in pinup and I went with a buddy of mine, Jason Tanzer, and uh, I looked at him and said, I'm going to be in that show. If that show comes to Vegas, I saw it at Mandalay Bay when it was here for a short stint um, and uh, fell in love with it and looked at him. And I was like, if that show comes back, I am in it. And I went to the audition and I got cast as the only Vegas local, which was really cool. But um, yeah, so I, I did that and you know the rest. <laughs> well, ba- I mean, Baz was a an amazing show. I mean, we had a chance to go and see it um, in Vegas and at Venetian. And I mean, yeah, like 
just a, a visually stunning show with with amazing choreography and amazing music and just uh, an, an absolutely incredible show. When you were doing pinup, how many shows a week was that? Was it six shows, seven shows a week? It was, oh, hell no. It was five, five shows a week. Um, but I mean, an hour and a half of singing by myself. Right. So, you know, that's that was enough. Mm-hmm. If it would have been three days a week, it would have been great. But right. five, yeah, it was five days a week. And then Baz, when I started, was six days a week. Wow. Yeah. And so now Baz was where you and I met kind of right around the time that you were in Baz. And I think you were just, you shortly after you and I met, you took a hiatus from Baz and that was, that was vocal issues, correct? Yep. So, um, like I was explaining, you know, about pinup, I had such a rigorous, you know, show schedule. And when you think about it in terms of just like an athlete, or even a superstar that goes out on tour. Uh, Christina Aguilera never went and sang for four and a half straight years without days off. Right. You know what I mean? And I don't mean days off like a day or two. I mean weeks off. Mm-hmm. When when singers go and do tours, you know, they'll do three, four months and then they'll take a six-month break. Or when athletes do, you know, uh, baseball it's just say and it's however many months and they take four months off or hockey or whatever you take breaks and I didn't take breaks at all for the entirety of the startup of my career so from 22 when I went and started doing touring until 28 the longest I didn't sing was six days when I went on vacation like once wow so it was just constant aggressiveness on my voice. And sure enough, I went from pinup, which was crazy vocally demanding, to Baz, which was surprisingly even more vocally demanding. Luckily, it wasn't all on my shoulders, but we were sprinting around and trying to sing and do splits and cartwheels while belting our faces. And I hemorrhaged, and there was nothing I could do about it. Like, I, my vocal cords just kind of finally gave out and my body was telling me to stop and I went on vocal leave, but we couldn't figure out what was wrong at first because Nevada doesn't have a whole lot of, um, surprisingly for the entertainment capital of the world, there's only one laryngologist in the state and uh, laryngologists are vocal cord experts. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I kept going to ENT after ENT and they didn't have the right tools to be able to really tell me what was wrong because my case wasn't kind of cut and dry. And, uh, finally after four or five months of the runaround, I found out that I had hemorrhaged my nodules. So I had nodules that hemorrhaged and then atrophied and the whole thing was just literally a singer's worst nightmare. It's the equivalent of, you know, Michael Jordan tearing his ACL and, uh, not that I'm Michael Jordan of singing, but you know, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a major, major deal. And I had a year of rehab on my voice. So I had to go to speech therapy and then I went to singing therapy and rehabilitation and five, six days a week for an entire year. It was crazy. And now you also had a, in addition to your vocal um, situation, you, you had a little physical issue too with your back right now this is it's a it looking back on it now it's a i don't want to say funny story because it's not funny it was it was serious but the way the injury occurred it it was one of those kind of stupid things that just happened in a stupid way yep i i gotta say (laughs) i was talking about this with somebody the other day and i don't like to um, basically talk about my injuries, so to speak, as weaknesses in my life. If anything, they really reminded me what I am put on this earth to do and that I'm not going to take no for an answer, no matter what. Um, but yeah, in addition to that vocal thing, that miserable year of my life battling the vocal trauma, um, two, three months after that happened, I, I had gotten a pup and, uh, I took him to the dog park and I got accidentally ran over by two huge dogs at the dog park. They weren't vicious. They were chasing after a ball. I was in their way. They ran me over. 
and opposite. I wasn't looking at them. I flipped up and I landed on my back and I fractured three vertebrae in my back. Oh my God. Two up top, the T3, T4, and, and then my coccyx. And then herniated like five discs. (laughs) My back was just a disaster. And went to the emergency room. They sent me home. They said I was fine. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. (laughs) And then the the next day I went and got an MRI because I, you know, couldn't move. And um, the MRI was like, nope, your back's very broken from a a dog park. So, yep. So I couldn't sing. I could practically not even talk. I would be on like vocal rest for a month at a time with a broken back. So that was fun. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, so basically the entirety of what was it? 2017. Yeah. 2017 was just the year of rehabilitation from literally the ground up. Oh my God. Yeah. But I got to say like that was life telling me to slow down and you know, that I was I was going to need to really focus on health first and foremost because I was really letting it go by the wayside. And um, it was, I'm telling you, I literally just had to stop everything. I couldn't sing. I couldn't work out. I couldn't be active. I just had to be. And it was a huge life lesson for me. Um, And I got to say that it also shaped me in terms of like what, what I mentally able to handle because this career is very challenging um especially because it's such a personal thing uh we're selling ourselves uh as the art Mm -hmm. and that could be a very personal thing and i learned to take life less personally and it's not always me or my fault or something i've done wrong sometimes it's just the cards that you're given and you need to learn how to find the cracks of inspiration and cracks of positivity when you're in a dark place. Well, and I mean, you have, you've had amazing support around you as well. I mean, your family has been incredible and, and your significant other who's, I love him. He's fantastic. I love Isaac. (laughs) And and I mean, so I think, you know, having those people around and, and, you know, I've, I've never experienced the adversity like you have, but having experienced some level of adversity, it's certainly helpful to have that level of support around you and that support system to just, you know, when stuff, when, when shit is getting you down, just kind of saying, you know what? Yeah, it sucks, but you know what? Tomorrow's another day and, and let's, let's just, let's get past it and let's just be positive, you know? Exactly. And I mean, there were, don't get me wrong. There were days where I honestly was like, well, this really can't get much worse. And then I, and then I thought about it. And I had friends that were going through even bigger traumas than I, I was, you know, uh, losing family members in tragic ways. And um, uh, one of my friends passed away and another one of my friends found out she had cancer. And, and so I was just hit with reality of, yes, although this is stopping me from doing anything in my career right now, I'm alive and I'm healthy. Am I as healthy as I'd like to be? No, but I'm I'm alive and I have a wonderful support around me and I'm able to take the time to heal. And a lot of people don't get that that second chance, so to speak. So um I was very grateful for that second chance. That's for sure. And now you are back. You are you're healthy, your voice is good, your back is good. Oh, yeah. Do do you find now though you're more uh, much more cognizant of, you know, making sure that you do get the right amount of vocal rest. D- do you find that's something that you're much more conscious of now? Almost in a bad way. Yes. To answer your question, absolutely yes. Um, I was just having lunch with a friend a couple of days ago and she was like, I was saying something about, you know, oh, well, this part of my voice is still not where it needs to be. And she was like, nope, don't say that. Don't, don't, don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. People don't need to know that. Figure it out. Sing around it. And uh, I was like, you know what? You're right. And like I said, in this industry, everyone's willing to and eager to pick you apart. If you crack on a note or if you're not sounding the way that you should in a particular range of your voice, everyone's like, you know, talking about it. 
And the reality is, is I'm like, I'm just grateful that I'm able to sing and I'm able to own it and, and, you know, kick ass on stage again and, and be as powerful as I can and use my experiences to inspire other people and screw if I can't do something right now, I'll figure out a way around it or I just won't do it. And I'll figure out what I can do and call it a day, you know, like injuries happen and it's not going to shape me. Um, in any way other than just make me a, a more mindful uh, entertainer, like you said. So now I, yes, I make sure that I'm super rested and uh, I actually teach voice lessons now and I have a studio in my house and it's been the most inspiring thing for me to give all of the advice that I've learned from world famous doctors, you know, all over the world that I've really, really gotten to be grateful to work for and work with to rehab myself. I've been teaching my students what I've learned. And I was telling someone, I was like, dang, I wish I had someone like me when I was younger, (laughs) just to be able to like, kind of warn me and be like, Hey, don't, you know, don't go down that path or don't do this. And so that's my way of giving back what I've learned Mm -hmm. is to, to do it with my students. And, uh, it's it's been so awesome. So you're teaching voice. That's a that's mm-hmm. a big thing you've got, and I've seen you've you've been doing different other classes as well with you know things like mic technique and vocal technique and things like mm-hmm. that, which is very cool. Yeah, you've got the EP which is out that was released back in that was November end of November. Yep. Which by the way, and I've told you this before, but I want to get it on the public record. I love this thing. If it was if it was a cassette. I would have worn it out by now. If it was a CD, yeah. I probably would have had to have replaced it by now. Um, it's very, very cool. It's five tracks and shows off your vocal ability amazingly. Oh, thanks. That all kind of came together with Fervor Records. Now, Fervor Records is an interesting kind of record company. How did you get connected with those guys? Oh, man, I love them. So they were working with a friend of mine, Andy, who was the guitar player of rock of ages. And, um, I met Andy, you know, through other friends and, and, uh, one of my close girlfriends, Becca Cody, she was, um, signed to them. And when she got asked to go tour with Rod Stewart, no big deal. Um, she couldn't really work on an album anymore. So there was basically an open slot in their, um, lineup for a female vocalist. And Andy came up to me and was like, hey, Fervor Records is really interested in you. I sent them some of your stuff. Would you want to have a meeting with them? And sure enough, I did. And the rest is history. And they asked me to, you know, do this EP. And they covered it. And, you know, kind of like being signed to a a true record label like they are. Um, I didn't have to front any of the cost and um, had an amazing, you know, relationship uh, business-wise with them as well as creatively. And and uh, we're signed on to do a full length album. And I have not, I just started to begin the process of the full length. Um, it's actually a lot of work to try to run a household, start a new business with my band, start a new business with my voice students, have a relationship with my partner and still sleep. Um, <laughs> and also try to have an album. Um, I've had a hard time juggling it, but things are finally starting to slow down um, with my band LMS uh, to where it's kind of running itself. So now I'm able to focus on the full length album and uh, I'm going to go to Phoenix soon and start recording. And it's all your own material. Uh, We, we actually have 50, 50 rights on it, like writing rights. Mm -hmm. So um, I work with this. Andy's no longer working with them. Um, They have this, new guy, his name's Will. And, uh, he is just dumb. He's so good. And, um, he kind of creates these cool beats and concepts and, and melody lines and has me, you know, riff off of them. And we have a good working relationship and we're very much emotionally in sync, which is really great for a writing team. And, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of a 50% writing partner on, on the stuff. And the music is a very cool, genre because it's not like it's not bubblegum pop or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination but very very radio friendly very cool very adult very like i don't even know how to describe it it's just it's i don't know i just love it i like that you can't describe it so 
that's a lot of people always are like, well, what's it like? Ideally, as an artist, if I were to make my own album and I had full artistic, you know, uh, creativity to do whatever I wanted, it wouldn't be this, but it would be close to this. Mm -hmm. So the, the problem with trying to monetize art is you have to give the public or the people or Fox or ABC or whoever you're writing for what they want and what they need. And what they need right now is radio friendly, good hooks, things that can, you know, span different genres and different eras and all this sorts of stuff. So what we write is kind of a mesh of a lot of different stuff. And my new album is going to expose my love of brass and horns and that vintage thing uh, even more than it was on the EP because we only dabbled in it a little bit mm -hmm. but I like to call it like dark vintage pop so it has like a dark brooding kind of thing to it mm -hmm. um it has like a, an electronic thing but it also has a bit of soul and funk and just interesting lines and they kind of get stuck in your head like it's kind of bizarre I'll wake up some mornings and have my own song stuck in my head and that's pretty cool <laughs> Like, I didn't think I would ever be able to say something like that. And that's not my doings. That's the genius of Will and Fervor. But um, yeah, so basically my goal that I've always had when I wanted to be signed to an, a record label is um, to get my music onto TV and film. Mm -hmm. That's been my goal. I didn't necessarily want to be Katy Perry or Pat Benatar if that happened yippee but if it didn't and i was able to make a living selling my music and performing i was a happy cookie so the fact that that's starting to come to fruition is really cool um and it's interesting because people are like oh i you know i'm surprised that this is the music that you're putting out and like well it's a piece of what i want to do and a piece of what they need me to do i don't think people realize how big of an industry that whole getting music into TV and film actually is. I, I had friends when I was working in radio in Saskatchewan that were from some small town outside of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. They were in a band called Sweet Salt and similar situation. They managed to get their, their album picked up by a company that specialized in TV show and movie music. And the next thing you know, their songs are showing up in, you know, TV shows on the CW and and on UPN and on all these weird angsty teen type TV shows. So yep. if, if you can do that, that's, you know, you're set. Yep. And it's really cool because um, you get an immediate audience, right? So like how many times have you been watching something and be like, oh, who's that? And you Shazam them or you look them up, singer of... I don't know, Breaking Bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, then you find out who it is because obviously they're not going to be able to pay the residuals or the the uh, royalties or whatever it's called for Bruno Mars to be the rolling credits of a small Netflix show. Right. You know, they can't afford it, but they sure can afford Lisa Marie Smith from Vegas, you know? Right. So that's kind of a way to get your music and your art shared with a large amount of people in a short amount of time. So it's always been my goal, but the, the hard part is getting it because you kind of have to be, you either have to do like a whole grassroots thing where you just kind of hit the ground running and, and hope that enough people share it that a large, you know, company like Fox finds you, which is really hard to do, or you sign with an agency, a, a record label like Fervor, and that's all they do. Mm -hmm. So you get to basically just become one of their artists in the Rolodex that they are able to pitch, which is amazing because I don't have to do the business side of the work. I could just do the art. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. And I'm so happy that that's, that's happening for you. It's amazing. Thank you. Something else I want to talk about too, and this is something that I've noticed in, in all of my trips to Vegas and getting to spend time with, with all of you guys and, and, and spend time with this, you know, my extended Vegas family. It's a very philanthropic and very charitable city. I love that about Vegas. No one would ever think that, but 
you nailed it. And we really are. It's it's amazing. I mean, the the big one for me, of course, is, you know, Monday's dark and, and seeing, you know, how the money flows for that and, and, and you know, a new charity every two weeks and getting ten thousand dollars and 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 all of that. I've talked at length about Monday's dark on this podcast, but you do a lot of charity work yourself. You're quite involved with a group called Positively Arts, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually kind of cool. I'm, I have a special place in my heart before we go on to Positively Arts for Monday's Dark because I, I mean, Mark's been a buddy of mine and Cheryl's been a buddy of mine, but specifically Mark for years um, since kind of he's gotten into town. And I got to see the space, his new, you know, Um, not so new anymore building like literally the day after they purchased it Mm -hmm. and before there were bathrooms in it before there were anything in it um so i've gotten to see that entire project kind of come from the ground up and i couldn't be prouder of that entire grouping of people and what they've been able to create for this city and i think that there was a huge um need for it and mark filled that void just seamlessly um And there's another void that needed to be, you know, filled, which was a relationship with up and coming artists, students, and connecting them with professionals in the city. And that's what Positively Arts does. We bring professional performers, musicians, um, dancers, singers, anything in the arts and connect them with students of an, you know, similar interest, passion, and teach them the way and be able to perform with them on a live, you know, in a live setting on a grand stage in Vegas. And for these 10, 12 year olds, 18 year olds, six year olds to be able to say that they performed with the star of Baz and have four different, you know, opportunities to work with them in a rehearsal setting for free is just, that's stuff that you can, it's, it's, priceless. And that's what Positively Arts does. And I am the spokesperson for Positively Arts. And one of my best friends in the world, Polita, created this concept years and years and years ago. Um, And she has a child development degree from Harvard. And uh, this is kind of her way of connecting her passion for the arts with her true degree in in child development and how to combine the two and as well as the whole anti-bullying concept which is just so huge in society these days with all the kids and what they're kind of going through in school and social media the arts is a way for them to escape all of that and have a really like loving nurturing place for them to be able to be free mm-hmm. and so that's kind of what positively arts does and it's I can't say enough positive things about it. It's just, it's everything to me. And uh, I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And I'm involved as often as I can. Tomorrow, I'm going, before my band has its debut at Paris, I'm going to Show Creator Studios. And once a month, all of these musician kids in town, just kids that like to play instruments, they all get with um, like, MDs of Larev and all of these huge shows and they just have a jam session and they'll invite singers to come like professional singers to come and just sing along with these jam sessions. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do a couple of rock songs with uh, these kids tomorrow. Um, just kind of go in and jam along with them and then go to work. So. That's so cool. That's just, yeah. Like, like I say, I mean, it, you're right. People don't think of, and I guess this kind of comes full circle back to the not thinking about people living in Las Vegas. Um, it, it really is amazing how charitable, again, not just the, the citizens of, of Vegas are, but the, the arts community and, and how, you know, everybody that you talk to, um, you know, and all the people that I've had the pleasure of getting to know and, and getting to, to spend time with talk about all these different charitable things that they do. And they've all got, you know, 10 different gigs going on that are, you know, that they're doing as a, a, a benefit or a, a charitable gig or a, like, again, it just, it, it amazes me. And it really, it really kind of warms my heart, honestly, yeah. you know, it, it, it really does. Um, I want to talk about, before I let you go, I want to talk about LMS. This is your, your new project, the new thing that you've got together. And, and this is, I mean, this is so cool. You kind of, you sort of unofficially launched it New Year's Eve. Yeah, no big deal. Just the most important day of the year for a party band. 
bit stressful, but just, yeah. just a wee bit stress. I mean, I saw you, I saw you in December kind of leading up to that. And oh, that's right. Yeah. Our it, we celebrated our birthdays together, hanging out at Blacktop and, uh, you, you know, you were a little frazzled. You and Isaac were a little bit frazzled with the whole thing, but from what I saw, you, you pulled it all together and you got it all together. Oh, yeah. And, and then of course you, you took off for almost a month. Yep. Oh, no, it was, it was a month and a day, a month and a day that you were gone. And then you came back and boom, hit the ground running with, with LMS. So tell me a little bit about this whole thing. So I was getting, this is the honest truth. I was getting sick and tired of people telling me when I, when and when I could not perform. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? How about I tell me when I perform? (laughs) And so then I, uh, you know, had this idea and, um, you know, party bands and lounges and, and stuff in Vegas, uh, that used to be the thing to do. And, um, you know, people would get dressed up and go to these lounges and listen to bands and dance. And nowadays it's almost kind of taken a back seat in terms of entertainment or it's not as cool or it's the first thing to go in the budget cut. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's time for this to have a resurfacing. And so I created this idea of, a high scale, like a high brow party band that can do everything from rock to blues, to funk, to country, to top hits, to oldies and everything in between. And it's not fluff. Like I wanted it to be interesting, challenging lines. And um, so musicians who are a part of it can feel like they're actually contributing to the art as opposed Mm -hmm. to just kind of playing along with the track or, and there's not not to say that people who are currently doing that, because I did it, are doing anything wrong. It's what's been asked of us in this city, because the city's getting a little bit more commercialized, and the art is kind of going away. And I'm kind of wanting to combine our last attempt to um, hold on to that art form and bring it into the commercialized need of the casinos. Mm-hmm. So basically, the normal, quote unquote, person without much of a musical background will enjoy it just as much as our musical friends who like quirky, interesting bass lines or, you know, a really intricate horn line or a challenging vocal or whatever that may be. So we kind of combine those two things. And that's what LMS is all about. I think that's so cool because as you say, like the the casinos and the big the big hotels and the big casinos, they really seem to be kind of going away from that let's have a band in the lounge kind of thing and they're focusing more on, you know, DJs, celebrity DJs and bars and clubs. And I'm I'm forty three years old. I'm too damn old for any of that stuff. So yeah. for when, you know, when when Kim and I come to town and we wander through the casino and we walk past a lounge and we hear great music we want to go in, we want to go in, we want to listen to some great music, we want to have a couple of drinks, we want to maybe dance. Well, Kim wants to dance, I don't dance. But <laughs> but that's what we want. So to hear yourself being as passionate about that and and wanting to do that and wanting to bring that back is just, that is so cool to me. And And you're not screwing around when you're doing this either. Like, I mean, I know the people that you've got involved in this and I've seen the videos and I, I know what you're doing with this. Like, this is, this is a big deal. Yeah. I try to say, like, um, it's, you know, people who have kind of become world class in their art, people who really take their instrument or whatever seriously and putting it into a very approachable um, lounge is just kind of rare. So I'm making it more of a almost like a show. Mm-hmm. Um Because there's, you know, there is a handful of bands in town that do request only. And I am so impressed with that. I can't do all request band. No, my brain doesn't have that in. I just I can't do that. But what I can do is provide a show experience in a lounge setting Mm -hmm. for free. And that's something like, cause people aren't wanting to, you know, drop 60, 70, a hundred bucks to go to a show right now. Why can't I give them a similar live music opportunity for the cost of a drink or two? Mm-hmm. 
So that's kind of where I'm going with this. And uh, it's my dream to have it in an actual showroom, like where Pinup was, the Stratosphere, or uh, Cleopatra's Barge at Caesars. I would love in the future for us to develop enough of a, you know, following and relationship with those entertainment directors and just kind of credits um, and legitimacy, I guess, of, of the product to be able to have it be a, a show and to go see this band as a show as opposed to just whenever we can. Um, mm-hmm. That's the ultimate goal. But for now, I'll take I'll take what I can get. And I'm just excited that um, we're being given an opportunity. So it's very, very cool. And I'm, I'm happy for you that this is, is all coming together. And I think you, I think you've really, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head with this. And I think you've really got something that would, that can definitely be, uh, it can definitely work. So I, I, I wish you all the best on this. I think it's just fantastic. Any other projects on the go that you want to share? Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's, oh, you know me. If I'm not doing 12 things, I'm not doing enough, which I'm just starting to slow down. LMS took about eight months to get off the ground. So we're just exhausted. Uh, I always want to give a shout out to human nature because uh, Isaac, my partner, is in human nature. And uh, they're actually on tour in Australia right now Mm -hmm. for a month. And uh, they are that show at the Venetian is just shockingly good oh you and those you took kim and i to that back in december yep. we saw the christmas the the holiday version the christmas version of it and we were both just blown away by how amazing that show was that's that's a show that i i've got to go back and see the quote-unquote normal version of it right because i mean the, the the holiday version was incredible so i can only imagine what that show was like easily one of the best shows on the strip yeah and it doesn't have all the to do that you know absinthe does or Cirque does but it doesn't need it um not saying that the other shows do but there's just such a it's just authentically Vegas, that show. It's just four guys singing their tails off in four-part, tight four-part harmony, and then a band that's just blowing the entire time, and that's it. And that's all they need, and it's just everything to me. So um, I always want to talk about that, and I hope that that show runs as long as humanly possible. Humanly possible. Very and funny. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> and then, uh, and then that's kind of it. I'm doing a guest entertainment show. Um, I'm a part of a show called Divas Three, which is awesome. And then I have my own uh, guest entertainment show where I get to go out and fly out on cruise ships and do my own created show for you know an hour. And uh, that's taken a lot of time to create. Um, and it's a show all about Vegas, of course being the local that I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I'm just trying to have as many um, irons in the fire as I can. I don't know where you find time for all of it, my dear. Well, (laughs) neither. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm tired just listening to you talk about it. So I don't know how you have the energy for all of it. Well, I, the thing about it, and I wish it wasn't the case, like gone are the days are, you know, being able to just go to a show every single day and clock in and clock out. And although that was an amazing part of my life, it was a challenging part of my life. So being able to be in control of my own destiny, so to speak, is uh, a well-welcomed change. And there's definitely time for a show in the future. I'm going to do another one for sure. But for now, I'm excited about what I got going on. Well, I, I'm I'm happy that we were able to find time to finally connect and 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 get together and get all of this down and recorded and and I'm I'm excited to put out this episode of the podcast and uh, Me too. and uh, I'm so happy that we were able to find the time and I'm so happy for you and all the stuff that you've got going Thank on you. and all the success all the success in the world for you, my dear. Thanks. And thanks for taking such a love and an interest in, in me as an artist and even in my personal life. And you've just been such a good friend and this podcast is needed. It's needed. So for anyone listening, um, you are going to be so impressed with the people that Jeff winds up bringing onto his show and I would subscribe and I I mean I'm subscribing I'm listening to every single episode so I think you should too well that's all the endorsement I need (laughs) (laughs) I support this product Uh, you're the best well thanks for having me 
If you want to keep up with what Lisa Marie Smith is up to, follow her on Facebook at Lisa Marie Vegas or on Twitter and Instagram at Sing Lisa Marie. And don't forget, her self-titled debut EP is available for download on iTunes and for streaming on Apple Music and Spotify. Links are in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, that wraps things up for this episode of the podcast. As always, if you've got feedback on the show or you've got Vegas-related questions, feel free to reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, or zip me a note to jeff at walkernewmedia.com. Again, thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, or anywhere else, so you'll know the instant new episodes are uploaded. And don't forget to check out jeffdoesvegas.com for show archives and info on the Jeff Does Vegas patron program. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 20 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast, a Walker New Media production. Mm -hmm.